welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Well, what a great time together. Worship, thanks so much for the worship team, for the extra time you guys put in this week. And uh, we're recording a couple of really, really excellent songs that um, that fit really well with um, the things that God's put on my heart for all of us for today. And um, a couple things I should deal with right off the top before I kind of get into things. Number one, I, I did not give my children a shout out. And I'm going to hear about that when I get home. So kids... Glad you're here. Be good for mom, because I'll find out. Anyway, uh, the other thing is, like, I'm wearing a bathrobe, and that's kind of a, it's something that um, is a signifier to people around me. If I if Josh has his bathrobe on, it means he's kind of having a rough time. And I think that it's a, a good idea for us to have kind of like little codes that we can kind of use with each other where you can come out and sort of be open about some of the struggles that maybe you're having without actually being super open. It's kind of like a way to kind of like trick yourself into vulnerability. And when I think about the, for me, the reason I'm wearing the robe this morning, really it goes back several months um, and probably to January. And in January, there's some significant changes in my business. Um, and we kind of started the process of changing the business model. And that is really, I didn't really recognize at the time, but that's kind of been like the slow grind in my heart because I felt like I was doing really well in my business. Um, and then as we kind of had to pivot and uh, adapting to different things going on in the world and adapting to the different vision and, and the new direction God's laying on my heart for my business, I'm finding myself in a place where I don't feel like I'm performing nearly as well as I used to. And that's kind of been like the slow drip of exhaustion that's kind of been seeping in since the beginning of the year. Um, a lot of other things have been going on in the last few months. There have been a bunch of different lockdowns. And, you know, just with this, this most recent one, it hit me kind of a lot harder than I was expecting to. I was a little bit surprised by how... I felt damaged at this at this third lockdown. And I think whenever you're in a place of that kind of like consistent tiredness and weakness, um, then your mind and your thinking kind of gets opened up to increased attack. And so I started hearing other voices online and started seeing people who are kind of talking about how the whole pandemic has been kind of arranged and that how there's like this sort of you know, sinister force behind everything. And and suddenly I found myself in this place, like looking around at the different things in my life saying, wait, these things I used to be able to rely on and I was, they're not working anymore. <laughs> like I used to, like my business used to be a source of joy and excitement and suddenly now it's not. And it used to be like, okay, I'm, I love living in Canada and I'm, and I'm proud of our country. And then I look at decisions that are being made and suddenly those things I'm like, I'm feeling on my heels about that. Um, I, in January, I had got a cough. And like Ross was saying before, I mean, if, um, if, you, if you have a cough today, uh, that's a lot different than if you had a cough a year ago because, you know, you try to hide it. And like, it's just a cough. Like, and then the cough didn't go away and it didn't go away and it didn't go away. And I was like feeling really nervous and I was feeling really afraid to actually get the cough checked out because what if? Like, what if it's COVID? Like, I don't want to be another number. I don't want to be another reason why we need more lockdowns. And I, and I found like, and then there are a few other like health concerns that are, you know, seem fairly minor, but I, I found myself doubting my own health. And I looked around and this is kind of happening over the course of several months. And I look around, I'm like, I feel like everything is sort of like shimmering. Like, you know, um, like a mirage in the desert. It's kind of like I have a life that I've been living that's been going great and I look around and everything seems stable and then everything, all of a sudden everything starts shimmering. And that like, it's a really sucky place to be, <laughs> like a really sucky place to be. Uh, and then a couple weeks ago, um, I had a chat with my accountant and got the final numbers for 2020. 
And 2020 was not a good year for me, like in business. And I think that was, it wasn't the last straw, but that was like one of the last big straws. And I found myself in this place where I felt so off balance. I felt anxious. I felt, I felt worried. I felt like all the different things that I've been working towards and trying to build and trying to create just had, were falling apart. And I looked at the world around me and in the culture that I'm in, you know, the culture that we're in. And I felt like I'm on a ship that's maybe not sinking, maybe it's going towards an iceberg, but there's no safety boats and you can't get off the ship. I feel like I'm, I was starting to feel trapped. And I, I found myself really, really struggling. Um, so then kind of this week hit and uh, Monday, I'm kind of, okay, so I'm thinking, okay, I'm preaching, it's coming Sunday. I got to buckle down, kind of start pre preparing this. And then I got a text from Pastor Ross and the thing he texted me, he said, I'm praying for you this week, Josh, that you and Father have a special time together as you prepare. You speaking is another excuse he has arranged for you and him to spend time together. And just that thought and that truth just kind of cracked, cracked apart this world I'd found myself living in. And it had become very gray and it come become very confusing. And it had kind of tinged with sadness and tinged with hopelessness. And I, I felt like my world was in this kind of like a reverse momentum and you know, it was confusion and frustration and disillusionment. And, and I felt on my heels, you know, and Ross's comment to me was a reminder, like, hang on a second, what's going on here? Because like, I'm forgetting about the true reality, like a reality that's bigger and grander than the world that I've been living in. So that's like a really long explanation of the bathrobe today. Um, but it's also a, a, like, it's a perfect segue into what, what God kind of showed me, where he led me this week. And so today we're gonna be looking at Psalm 91. Um, if you've got your Bible handy, I really recommend you check it out, like flip it open to Psalm 91. Psalms is like pretty much right in the middle of the Bible, or you just Google Psalm 91 and it'll take you there. Um, there's a, some really great, um, really great uh, website to do an excellent job of, you know, giving you options as far as you know, translations and whatnot. Um, but God brought me to Psalm 91, and this past week, through the study and the meditation of Psalm 91 that I've been doing, God is like... Rem show me some really clear truths that have actually made a huge difference in my inner life. Um, it's like nothing has really changed on the outside, but everything feels different. And so those, there's a few key truths here. So number one, the truth is like, I'm in Christ. I am, I'm with Christ. He is with me. And you kind of can't tell where my heart ends and he begins. We have like a unity. Christ and I are in this together. The second thing is that I, as a believer, I live inside a, an invisible, um, an impenetrable dome of protection. And the only things that are allowed inside of that dome of protection are things that God is using in my life. Um, and that's, those, th those ideas have transformed the way that I'm interpreting my circumstances and my surroundings. And also it's brought so much peace and stability to my inner life. And so what I want to do is in the next little while, I want to kind of walk us through the first half of Psalm 91. And then next week, we'll have part two, where we go through the second half of Psalm 91. Uh, before we get into that, though, I'm going to pray and kind of invite God. Um, not like I have to invite God because he's here anyway. But I'm going to pray just to like be like very intentional about reminding myself and all of us that God is here with us right now. So, Father, I thank you so much for the journey that you've had me on. Um, my whole life, uh, the journey since January and this, the journey this past week of spending time with you. Thank you so much for the extra intimacy that you and I have had been able to share together this week. And thanks that we get to continue doing that right now as I'm preaching. And I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just create a sense of unity between all of us who are connected virtually and all of us would love to be together in person. Uh, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would just be a real tangible presence in the lives of every single person who's um, being reached by this, um, by this broadcast today. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. Thank you. We can trust you. We can gamble on you. We can rely on you. Um, and that gambling on you is, is never actually a gamble. So amen. 
All right, well, let's just dive in here. Um, there's a couple things about the Psalms that I really love. And there's a couple things about the Psalms that make me uncomfortable uh, because the Psalms as a whole, they kind of represent pretty much any human emotion that you can imagine. It's somewhere in the Psalms. And as a kid, I remember reading through the Psalms and thinking like, okay, this David fellow, he's like a little bit in left field because I was reading things that I didn't understand. Like I would read it like, it says, God break the teeth of the wicked. Like that doesn't sound like something that a great lover of God would actually say. Um, but as you read through the Psalms, you kind of come, on, come and you encounter these really uncomfortable statements from time to time. And then in the very next chapter, even in, in this very same same chapter, you see a complete flip around where the author seems absolutely jubilant and full of joy. And so when I think about the Psalms, I think the Psalms are such a wonderful gift to us because it shows us that on every, like, on every level, like me at my worst, at my worst emotional place, God relates to me. Like he understands, like the things that are recorded in the Psalms, those are things that like it's an expression of however I'm feeling. And so I find so much comfort in that, knowing that there's an enormous amount of safety that I have uh, as I'm expressing myself to God. And that's one thing this week that, that I really felt like God showed me is that I have a tendency, and I think this is probably true of all of us, we have a tendency to self-censor. You know, we come before God and, you know, depending on how Baptist your, your, your you know, um, early experience with Jesus was, like, that will depend on how flowery the language is. Um, but is it like, are, I find myself almost feeling like I'm putting on a, um, a facade when I'm talking to God. I'm like, I, I, I don't want to say what I'm really feeling because that's almost embarrassing that I would want to break the teeth of the wicked. Like sometimes I get really frustrated and really angry at people. I'm like, and I, I feel like I can't actually be that open with God about that feeling. But the Psalms gives me permission to do that. And that's actually a huge part of intimacy with God. And one of the things that Psalm 91 is, is all about is the safety, is the safety and protection that comes when you are in a relationship with God. And I can't experience safety if I'm not willing to go to the darker places in my heart and let God see that. So that's one of the things I've, I've really come to love about the Psalms. Uh, and that's one of the things I love about Psalm 91 as well. Now, depending on where you go and on which scholars you look at, people will say either David wrote Psalm 91 or Moses wrote Psalm 91. Um, the Hebrew tradition ascribes Psalm 91 to Moses, and they would say that, that the Psalm was written at the completion of the tabernacle, when the tabernacle um, was finished being built. That was a, a huge landmark moment in the story of the Israelite nation, and it was a huge moment of victory, of like God taking these people who've been captive and bring, bringing them through some really difficult trials, but also like bringing them through it. And so they went through the trials, but they're also victorious. And so this Psalm 91 is, is like a look back on some of the things that have happened. And it's also um, saying, hey, this is what you can rely on. So let's just go right to verse one. And we're going to kind of like just go phrase by phrase through the whole thing. And I'm what I'm going to share isn't like super deep and super scholarly. It's more of like these are the things that God spoke to me as I'm processing through the different challenges of my own life. And I just want to kind of share that and open that up with you today. So Psalm 91 starts off, verse 1, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And one of the things I love about the internet is it gives you access to some really cool resources that maybe you'd have to kind of struggle to track down otherwise. One of the things I would really recommend for everybody is go to um, Google and just type in interlinear Bible. And there's a website called biblehub.com. And what it does, is it shows you, you know, whichever scripture you want to see, and it shows it to you in the, in the original language with the translation below it. And that has been, that's brought like such a new richness to my own my own personal study and also for sermon prep because it makes you sound really intelligent when you can when you can do what I'm about to do. <laughs> you say the word for dwell, for example, is like the root the, the Hebrew word is yeshab. And there's 
there's a couple different ways that yeshab is used. And so it means to sit or to dwell or to live in. Um, and the word shelter, that root word is sather. And shelter is interesting because some, some translations will actually choose to translate shel- um, uh, sather as secret place. And that's actually one of the major use, uses for that word. And so when I think about, you know, the person who sits or the person who dwells in the secret place of the Most High, like I remember reading that for the first time thinking, oh, I want to be there. I just want to be in the secret place. Like considering everything that's going on in the world, I want to be in the secret place of God. And I just want to be there and be protected and be insulated. And I just want to be, I just want to be cradled there. And it's, it's crazy to me how the reality is, is that's actually true. Like I am in the secret place. Psalm 91 is also known as a prophetic Psalm. And it's talking about like, you know, casting, looking ahead to Jesus coming. And at the time, like the secret place of the most high, like it was a secret, like that wasn't well, like it wasn't known very much back then. But now we know the secret place is Christ. And those who live, those who sit, those who rest in Christ will abide They'll exist. They'll, they will operate in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, the word shadow uh, is, is saleh, and that word means defense or protection. And when I think about what the Israelite, um, the huge Israelite family had been through as like they're going, you know, leaving Egypt and they're going through the desert, like, that account tells us that they were led, right? They're led by manifestation of God. And in the day, who remembers what it was? It was a pillar of cloud. And at night, what was it? It was a pillar of fire. And God was ahead of them. And that pillar of cloud was like over the whole camp. And in the extreme heat of the desert, God was protecting the Israelites from the harshness of their environment. And I think about this verse, like, man, you could just like speak a whole sermon on just this verse. Like, those who sit in the secret place of the Most High, they will live, they will operate, they will abide in the, in the, in the shadow, in the protection of the Almighty. And that's not something I have to long for. That's not something I have to wish I could be there. It's like, that's actually true already. That's true already. And as I'm reading through this, I'm like, okay, so God, this is true already. I know that I'm in Christ. And this is telling me that if, if I'm in Christ, then I am protected and I, I feel, and I, I'm within your shadow, your zone of, of, of defense. But that doesn't make sense because I look around me and I look at decisions our governments are making. And I look at how culture and dangerous ideas that have been kind of like fermenting in culture for a long time are becoming more and more and more prevalent. I feel like culture is sliding. I'm like, I feel like I'm caught and I'm trapped. I'm like, this, like, I love the, the notion of being protected, but that doesn't make sense to me because I don't see protection anywhere. Like, I know people who have COVID and who are in the hospital. Like, I know people who, you know, who, who, you know, just gone through cancer surgery. Like, I know people who are not having a great time right now. And so, in some ways, the scripture about protection, it, it doesn't ring, it rings a little hollow for me sometimes. And maybe a, maybe a lay pastor shouldn't admit that, but it's, it's true. And then I move on to verse two. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. And this kind of started making me uncomfortable the more I dug into it. Because to me, this whole verse speaks of recognition. And it speaks of kind of almost like defining for myself who God actually is. You know, it's reminding myself that God is my fortress and my refuge. God is the place that I trust. And then that word Lord. As a kid, I always, like every prayer I started, was like, dear Lord Jesus. That's just how I started every single prayer as a kid. I still do it now if I'm really tired. Uh, like kind of revert back to that. And so the word Lord has kind of lost its meaning. I also kind of like fantasy literature. So sometimes like the word Lord, it just means like royalty or something. But if you really look into what Lord actually means, it's like a Lord is someone who decides how everyone's going to live. And I just hate that because I love having a need for a savior because I look around and I have a mess in my life. I'm like, I need someone to save me from this mess. But I don't love that I need a Lord (laughs) because that means I'm not in control. And because that means I don't get to choose what happens to me. 
but it's one and the same. If you are looking to Jesus as your Savior, you must also look to him as your Lord. The Lord is one who decides how I live my life. I desperately want to be saved because I find myself in a mess, but I feel super uncomfortable sometimes thinking about Jesus as my Lord. Then I'm like, okay, Jesus, why don't you just stay in the front room of the house rather than having the whole house to yourself? Like, why don't you just stay here and then I'll go live my life. And whenever I need someone to come and clean up on aisle six, you know, you can come in and I would love to have you there. Um, I'm going to pause because I think I feel like if we were in person, everyone would have laughed at what I just said about aisle six, uh, but whatever. So the next, the second half of this verse is my God in whom I trust. And this is, it kind of ties into the Lord, the Lord issue with me. Um, this week I was talking with my wife. I do that quite often. Uh, and I found myself saying these words. I realize I have been counting on my business to secure our financial future. Um, and I can tell you, that's not the only thing I've been counting on my business for. Um, I quit my job, my regular job, just over, just over 10 years ago. And I found some old journaling from way back then. And I had what I'd written down in my journal were a list of reasons why I wanted to be self-employed. And one of the reasons was, if I, and I'd written this out, if I'm self-employed, that means that I belong in a room with anybody. You could have a politician there, and I felt like if I have a successful business, I'm equal to that person. You could have anyone in that room, and because of my successful business, because of what I'd built, I was equal to anyone. And that memory came back as well. And I don't feel great about that. I, I realized this week, and this is confession. This is like confession. I realized this week that I have a habit of looking to my business to provide. And that's a very different thing than looking to God to provide and God using my business. Because what I see happening is that when I have a bad year, like 2020, I feel my gut, everything tightens up inside. I Part of also that really crappy conversation with my accountant was I had to take a pay cut. And the impact that that had in my heart, everything tightened up and I felt really, I felt like I'd failed. And that's, that's not a good sign. Um, that means that I look to my business as my refuge and my fortress, not God. And that's something that I feel shame over, but I also, even as I'm saying, I'm like, I don't need to feel shame over because the decisions I make and the places that I look, like, and this is why verse two is so important because it says, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God and my trust. Like the author of this chapter, like whether it's David or Moses, like they also had to remind themselves, no, no, God is the place that I go to for safety, not the size of the army, not the size of the treasury, not the how bright my financial future looks. Like God is the source of my refuge and fortress. God is the one I choose to place my trust in. So verse two is, at first it just didn't feel like it fit, but the more I studied, the more I'm like, ah, I've been placing my trust in government, which seems like the stupidest thing in the whole wide world. <laughs> but I have, I've been placing my trust in the government. I've been placing my trust, my financial future in these hands right here, like my hands as like, I am the one in charge of securing my financial future, of securing my dreams, securing the goals that I've always wanted, the things I think that God actually does want me to have. And it's silly. But sometimes as Christians, we hear or we sense a promise from God, and then we say, that sounds wonderful. I'm now going to go, and I'm going to achieve that promise. But that's, that's not how it works. Like, we have a Savior who's also a Lord, and that Lord gets to decide who, when, what. I wish I could skip that part of the sermon. Unfortunately, <laughs> I can't. Because that's just how it is. That's just how it is. With this verse, I choose, though, I choose to reject my business as the source of my financial security. I choose to reject the government as my source of security. I choose to reject fill-in-the-blank as my source of security. I choose to acknowledge 
God is my refuge. God is my strength. God is the one that I put my trust in. On to verse three. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. I'm like, yes, I've been waiting to get to this verse. I like this verse. This verse sounds great. Um, there's a couple different interesting things here. So the word deliver, um, it's, I think it's pronounced Nassal. I'm Rob, Pastor Robin, he will know this for sure. Um, and that means to strip or to plunder, to rescue or to deliver. And so the idea is that, or the sense that I get from this word is that it's like, sort of like a last minute rescue. So the villain is, look, they think they're about to succeed and then the carpet is yanked out from under them. And then the hero, Jesus, God, the one that we have put our trust in, he's the one who comes in and provides the deliverance. Um, the other thing that I really love about the snare of the trapper and the deadly pestilence is as I kind of thought through that, I realized that there's kind of two scenarios here. One is there's someone who's let say, laying a trap for their prey. And the other one is, is kind of a plague or pestilence. Now with COVID, that's you know uncomfortably apt, the, the pestilence thing. But the two scenarios, number one is a trapper where you have someone who's on the hunt, somebody who knows their prey and someone who lays a trap designed to catch a particular type of prey. And I think that that, res that resonates very deeply with me because, you know, people who know me a little bit better, like I'm, I'm a pastor, a lay pastor uh, at New Life Fellowship. And I, for a very long time, I struggled with a lot of fear with the idea of being a pastor. And one of the reasons is, is because in my own family history, like I've, you know, my dad's a pastor, my grandfather's a pastor, I, I know pastors, and the number of attacks that they receive like on a personal level is staggering. And like, who wants to sign up for that? Like, I look at that, I'm like, I just see snares set by trappers in my path ahead. And like, so for me, this specific, the snare of the trapper and God being the one who delivers me from the schemes, he delivers me from the scheming types, people who like, oh, I know how we can get this guy. God delivers me as I look to him. God is one who delivers us from those like targeted attacks and from the deadly pestilence. And the pestilence or a plague, like that's not the necessarily the result of a scheme usually. Uh, that's not something that is necessarily targeted really. The pestilence kind of just moves through. And to me, I think about, you know, I look at culture and I look at some of the really dangerous, like damaging ideas that are gaining more and more prominence, you know, um, like <laughs> a critical race theory, like is, is one. like. The, it's causing so much devastation in people's lives and it's causing so much, uh, it, it's like danger personified and it's just moving through and I have zero control over that. It kind of feels like a plague, but it's like God delivers us from that. Like God delivers us from the snare of the trapper. It's a trap that laid out with the intention of removing someone's control and freedom. And the trapper is somebody who's learned the tendencies and they've learned the habits of their prey. And they design a snare specifically targeting those things. But he also delivers us from the contagious sort of ideas and from the, the plagues that kind of are moving through culture. As we look to God, he is our safety from those types of things. And he's the one who delivers active. It's an active word. It's, it's present tense. He delivers us from those things. On to verse four. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. He will cover. That's a promise. That's a reality. He is the one doing the action. We are receiving the action. We don't say, will you cover me? It's like he will cover you with his pinions. That basically means feathers. I wish there's a trans, like, yeah, anyways. It's one of those words I just like, I don't know why they didn't just say feathers because pinions just doesn't make sense to me. But anyways, he covers you with his feathers and under his wings, you may seek refuge. The number of times in in um, in the Old Testament, and especially in the, in the poetic books, the number of times where um, wings and referring to God's wings being the source of deliverance, like wings almost has a sense of great strength and great power. 
Um, and it's God is the one who exercises his power and exercises his strength in, the, in a way that allows us to seek our refuge. Um, his faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Bulwark is a, imagine like a huge fortress. That's kind of a bulwark or the massive, massive wall that surrounds a city or surrounds that fortress, that's the bulwark. And it says God's faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And the interesting thing about faithfulness, I want to think about it, is that it's a it's kind of a personal word because it's God's faithfulness to who? Well, God's faithfulness to me. And I look back at my life and I can think of like one of the very worst days in my life. And I can think of it right now. God was still faithful. Like, I still, like, even, like the only thing, like, at that time, like, the, oh, that, my worst day, the only thing in my, my house that I could feed my kids was rice. And I'm, I'm not being dramatic. Our van had no gas. Like, we had no money. And it was like, there was no way out of the situation. And I look back, I remember... Pastor Ross, man, I remember telling the story to Pastor Ross. He's like, well, you know, like that morning, you know, you fed your kids rice for breakfast. That's pretty much what 60% of the world's population eats every morning for breakfast. And I was like, rats, like, ah, I just, I should be grateful. I shouldn't be, I shouldn't feel rats. Anyway, all that being said, God is always there. He will provide. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. And that means like, as I'm feeling attacked, as I'm feeling the, the kind of like feeling the crosshairs on me, my shield is not my business. It's not the government. It's not my friends. It's not my community. My shield is God's faithfulness. It means I go back and look at, okay, how has God been faithful to me in my life? And then how has God been faithful to others? in their life. And this is where community is so important and so helpful because as you begin to be, as you're in those low, difficult, challenging moments, and you also have a hard time dredging up examples of God's faithfulness in your life, others can come in and help protect you and they can remind you of God's faithfulness. Like in scripture, there's there are so many incredible examples of God's faithfulness in scripture. And so cultivating an awareness of how God has been faithful to you in the past that acts as a shield as you're feeling the crosshairs, as you're feeling the attacks kind of lining up on you. Faithfulness means that even at my absolute worst day, God is enough. He has been faithful in the past, and even though it feels like a gamble, I choose to rely on his shield. I choose to rely on his bulwark. And the result of that, as you cultivate that habit, as you cultivate that, like, becoming more and more comfortable in that kind of like that new true perspective of God's faithfulness and of God's protection and, and God, you know, living in God's secret place. The result of that is verse five. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. This is also a little bit problematic because again, there's kind of like, you will not be afraid. And like, I, you know, if, if you've been around new life uh, for long enough, you know, like, I'm a guy with big feelings. I have a lot of feelings and I struggle with fear and I struggle with anxiety and I struggle with worry. And so to read this, it says, you will not be afraid. I'm like, well, I don't have control over when fear enters my heart. So how can I have control over when fear leaves? But it says, you will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies through the day. And as I look back on this past week and my time with Jesus and my time with God in Psalm 91, I see fear draining from my heart. And I'm not as afraid, nearly as afraid. It's like fear has gone from like in my face to like off in the peripheral vision, kind of in the shadows where I don't really see it. And what I believe and what Psalm 91 is saying, what the Holy Spirit, you know, through Moses or through David is saying is that as we make the choice in the face of what's going on in the world around us, as we make the choice to acknowledge and remind ourselves that God is our refuge and our strength. And he is the one in whom we trust. And as we choose to look to his faithfulness in the past, in our life, in the lives of those we love, in the lives of those around us, and in scripture, as we do that, the fear will quiet. And you will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies through the day. One of the things that's really interesting, you'll see this in like a couple of the later verses too, is like time, 
like time of day seems to kind of show up in Psalm 91. It's like the terror by night or the arrow that flies through the day. Uh, something I'm a little bit embarrassed of <laughs> is that, well, I'm not embarrassed about this part. As a kid, I used to be terrified of the dark. Uh, I like, for some reason, being in my bed was fine, but if I ever had to go outside during the dark, like um, like walking to the barn or something like that, oh, I was terrified. I like run as fast as I could. When I, when I was old enough to, I bought myself a knife. I would have my knife in my hand as I was running, which is also a very questionable safety decision, but I was like nine, so I guess, what, what do you expect? Um, but <laughs> this is the part I'm embarrassed by. I still kind of am, like, if I'm out at night, like my wife, she loves to go for walks uh, and she loves to walk on her property at night when the stars are out and it's dark. And I'm like, I'm sorry, honey, I just don't understand that because I go outside at night and my radar is like dialed up to 11 and I hear every little crack. And I'm like, oh, what's out there? And it sounds silly. Like I'm a 36 year old man, darn it. I shouldn't be strong. <laughs> it's, it's probably not as bad as it sounds. Uh, but the thing is, is like at night, you can't see, and it's like there's terror, and it's nebulous, and it doesn't have edges. You can't really define it, and I'm and I'm afraid of what might be out there. If you ask me, actually, what the, what is the thing you're afraid of? It's like, well, I don't know. Like, I, I can't even think of anything out that the thing actually would be. But there's just like this lurking sense of danger that I can't see that might come upon me at any second when I'm unprepared. I think that is the key here. It's like you'll not be afraid of the danger you can't see. You won't be afraid of the terror by night. The other side is the arrow that flies by day. Like it's also, it's also found interesting that it's arrow singular and it's flying by day. And so it's like, I'm like, is that like a, a, like a long, you know, a bow and arrow, it's a long distance weapon. It's like, that's, that's an attack from far away, but it's in the day so you can kind of see it coming maybe. But it's like these different scenarios, I don't have to be afraid of those. And as, I, as I've been reading through Psalm 91, it's like, these scenarios that the author is painting that don't on their surface seem to have like a practical application today. It's like, I find it's like, oh man, like they're speaking straight into some of the things that has that have been making me feel really afraid. Um, on to verse six, sort of like an expansion of what we're in in verse five, you know, so you will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day, of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, or there's a destruction that lays waste at noon. A plague that you don't see coming. And I was kind of, I've been kind of thinking about this. And I'm like, I just, I don't, like, pestilence has shown up a bunch of different times. There's this interesting, like, time of day, like darkness versus light. And I think what, what this has come to mean to me now uh, is that, especially in COVID, you know, you can go online. If you go down deep enough in rabbit holes, you'll find people who are like, and I, I'm not intending to like sound demeaning at all, but it's just something that's like, just not really my awareness. But like people say COVID, like this whole thing has been manufactured. It's been engineered. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of us watching have probably seen that calendar that's laid out that was supposedly leaked by, you know, a federal government staffer that shows like month by month by month, here are all the things that are going to happen. And it's startling to look at and say, wow, like a lot of this stuff is actually lined up. And I don't feel like I know about that. I'm not confident about that. That's like something that's like kind of whispered. And it's like, if that's like, I have no control over that. That's like that plague aspect of it. And it's in the darkness. Like, I don't really understand. It's like the pestilence that stalks in darkness. I think that is kind of like a pretty big umbrella term for me that is like the dangerous things that are out there that you don't see coming, that you don't really know are there. Maybe other people are, and other people are trying to get you to pay attention to that. But I feel like you know, the, pe the, the pestilence and the darkness and the destruction that lays waste at noon, whether, you, whether you're aware of the danger or you're not aware of the danger, like we're protected. We don't have to be afraid. And as we look to God as a refuge, our source, we choose and remind ourselves to trust him based on his faithfulness. These things that can be horrifying at night and terrifying by day lose their power. They lose their strength. On to verse 7. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 by your right hand, but it shall not approach you. 
I'm not sure if I've actually seen with my eyes a thousand of anything. Like, I've seen like a thousand bugs in one place and that was terrifying. I don't like bugs either. But like a thousand people, like have I, I've probably seen a thousand people because I've been to some NHL hockey games. Uh, but like, I haven't seen a thousand of many things. I haven't seen 10,000 of even fewer things. And as I'm thinking about a thousand falling at one side, like that seems overwhelming, like overwhelming odds. 10,000 on your right hand. In scripture, the right hand, especially in the Old Testament, the right hand very often, like Old Testament poetry, it symbolizes like your strength, the thing that you do really, really well at. Like when the overwhelming odds are stacked against you and, and there's, so, there's failure, in the, even in the things where you're usually very confident and you're usually very, very powerful, like when that's happening, it won't, it won't approach you. The right hand speaks to strength, it speaks to competency, and when everything around us crum crum is crumbling, we are still insulated. Again, this kind of, for me, it, it goes back to the struggles in my business. And like, you know, we're changing the business model at Lazarus Media Productions, and that has proven to be way harder than I thought it was gonna be. The initial forays have not gone well. And then, you know, it just, it's, it's been a blow. It's been a blow to my heart. Is it like a 10,000 level blow? I don't know, probably not. But I know that there probably could be blows that are even worse than what I'm experiencing right now. But saying it shall not approach you. Now, here's the thing, is that nowhere in this verse and in these series of verses does it say that God removes the pestilence that stalks at night or the air that flies during the day. Nowhere. You think about the, the you know, about the cloud that, you know, led Israel through the desert at night. God was protecting them from the environment. And that's what I'm seeing here is like, it shall not approach you. Now, I'm not at all, do not under, misunderstand what I'm saying here. I'm not at all saying that you are not going to experience hard things or you are not going to have things happen in your life that are painful, that don't make sense, that seem to be wasteful, like wasteful pain. However, what we cannot, um, what we cannot conclude is that we are on our own because we're not. Um, all throughout scripture, there are uh, so, so many places that remind us of the faithfulness of God, obviously earlier on in this chapter as well. But for me, I look at verse seven, and I think about Romans eight, verse 28, you know, um, if something's happening in your life, God has purpose for it. And if something happening that doesn't make sense, God has promised to redeem it. Um, uh, a friend of mine, John Lynch, a lot of us know him. Um, he, he made a post on social media that talked about, you know, people having a tr trouble sleeping because of their afraid or people are feeling anxiety. And he said, what if there is a person that could take everything happening to you and make it better than if it had never happened to you? And the truth is we have that person. That's Jesus. Like that's that invisible dome of protection. Anything that has come through and touched you and has hurt you, like God has promised to redeem that. And he's promised to use that for your absolute best. And that's something that we, we have to continually remind ourselves of because otherwise you look around and it can be very discouraging. It can be very discouraging. Uh, and that's kind of where verse eight we kind of like we're, you know, as we're kind of drawing to a close here, verse eight, you will look with your eyes and you'll see the recompense of the wicked. There's a couple of words in there that I don't use very often, recompense being one of them, wicked being another one. And as we think about the things like the terror, the pestilence, the snares, the air of the destruction, they're all still there, but they are not allowed to wreak their destruction on you. The only time the terror, the pestilence, the arrow, the destruction is allowed in your sphere is when God is choosing to use it for your benefit. And that's not a guarantee that we're going to understand that benefit in this life. However, this world is not our home. Like, we're not made for this place. Like, our life doesn't end when we die. Like, there is all of eternity beyond this life. And... That has never, 
rarely in my life has that felt comforting, but recently it is. It's like the things that are happening to me in this life, they're temporary. They are temporary and everything will be made right. They will be made right. Um, the word recompense, uh, it's the, the, the Hebrew is shalumba. And that means reward, means a just payment. You know, it's got like, it's an appropriate, what, like a, 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 an appropriate agreed upon, you know, um, compensation. And the word wicked is rasha. And it has like criminal kind of a tone to it. And it's like guilt, the guilty of sin, guilty of hostility towards God or God's people. And I look at this and I think about, you know, comparing where I'm at and I'm, I'm in the hidden secret place of God. And I think of people who have chosen to, to reject that. If you choose to reject that, you're choosing to reject God as your savior. You're choosing to reject God as your Lord. Then you're on your own in the world. And the things that happen, that is the result of your choice. And that's actually God honoring people's choices to look to other things other than him. And to, to reject him is like, you're on your own to deal with the mess of the world. For me, I find enormous comfort in knowing that I am hidden in the secret place. I'm hidden in God's secret place. He's covered me with his, with his wings. He's covered me with the things that are the, the, his most powerful attributes he's protecting me with. I live in, in the shadow, in the presence of, of his power and of his might. And as my savior, he saves me. And as my Lord, he directs me. And he has promised to move me through this painful world that's full of suffering. But there's something wonderful and there's something beautiful that's waiting for us, not only on the other side, not only just in heaven, but also within the struggle. Like we're not left on our own. It's all like God is with us. And like, that's what I've experienced this week is that, is that as I've been pondering in this, this scripture is like, God is making it, he's been showing me things. He's been making it super duper personal, very, very relatable to me. And that makes thinking of Jesus as my Lord so much easier because he's not a Lord in a castle who's signing decrees with no understanding of how the peasants are living. He's not that. Like, he's a Lord who knows me personally and he understands and he, he accepts and he makes space for the most uncomfortable, ugly emotions and feelings that I have. And there's that incredible safety there. And as Jesus becomes more relatable to me, it's much easier for me to trust him as my Lord as well. There's something that I want to read. Uh, a great friend of mine, his name is Preston Gillum. I really recommend go to PrestonGillum.com. He's got an email list. Sign up for it. He sends emails out every once in a while. And they're always so, so good. And he brings this extra element of like intellectual clarity to, the life of, to my life of faith. And I want to just read a couple paragraphs from a um, from a, a recent article that he wrote that I think just really capped this this um, this sermon off really well. So Preston writes, "As long as I trust God for today's problems, not tomorrow's, I keep my wits about me. But if I ponder for too long what my future might hold, I forfeit His measure of grace today, and my t my soul tumbles." Tears of worry flow, and I fear what may be. God holds my tomorrow, but he supplies grace only for today. But worry is so enticing, isn't it? Anxiety feels more real than unseen faith. I can engage stress, work my issues, contemplate my concerns. I can map out my tomorrows, but faith requires letting go. Trust places all that matters into hands other than mine hands that I hold with intangible faith. For me, this feels dangerous, irresponsible, and disengaged. Trust but verify is what my mentor taught me. That's good business, but it turns out to be very poor theology. To worry is to believe I can be somewhere that God is not. The underlying supposition of anxiety is that I can manage better than, God, than what God has said belongs to him. To grapple with tomorrow supposes that I have today mastered that my grasp of tomorrow is more insightful than God's. Today is plenty. Tomorrow is unmanageable. Trusting God with each day's problems demands the utmost 
of even the most dedicated soul worrying about tomorrow signals denial of my spiritual due diligence today. Worry managing tomorrow's stuff, a day and its things that belong to God. Worry is an illicit temptation suggesting that God is not good and that you know better. Oh, there's so much good stuff in there. Uh, I'm, well, as soon as I'm done here, I'm going to post the direct link to that article uh, in the comments of the of this sermon video. There's so much good stuff in there. Um, but at the end of the day, like, we are united with Christ. We are in that hidden secret place. And those moments where you just wish your daddy could, like, scoop you up, or the daddy maybe that you wish you had could just scoop you up and dry your tears and say, it's going to be okay. Like, we are in that place right now. Tomorrow is too much for us. God has given us grace for today. And Psalm 91 is an, is an excellent, excellent kind of a agenda to work through uh, as, uh, as you're grappling with worry. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm going to wrap up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray Psalm 91 over all of us. I'm going to pray it in first person. I just invite you to pray along with me. And then, uh, and then we'll be done here. Father... I dwell in the shelter of the Most High, and I abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I say to you, you are my refuge and my fortress. You are the God in whom I trust, for it is you who delivers me from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. You have covered me with your pinions, with your feathers, and under your wings I seek refuge, and your faithfulness is my shield and my bulwark. I will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. I will not be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noon. Father, a thousand might fall at my side and 10,000 might fall at my right hand. But I know that destruction will not approach me and I will look on and I will see the recompense and the payment of the wicked, those who have chosen to look away from you. Thank you so much for your faithfulness. And all of us at New Life Fellowship together, we choose to gamble on you. We choose to keep today's grace for today and trust you with our tomorrow. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.